there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We're going to be putting forward a set and forget Chelsea 11 for the next five years. If that's a goal... He doesn't get it's sent one all. He doesn't get sent off. We have a cracking game. Yeah. Chelsea right now is a very much a Hannah Montana moment for me. You go you, on. You put the blonde wig on. You're on stage and you're singing like it's Tottenham away. You're getting excited. You're like we just beat them. You know, hold that. But then when you're Miley and you're Billy Ray Cyrus in in the crib with the with the guitar, you're you're singing slow sad <laughs> jams amazing. and you're like, did that really just happen? That's not ideal. Where else is the profit come from? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Ripple Effect. This week's word of the week is pandemonium, which means wild and noisy disorder, and importantly, or confusion. Uproar is also another word that's used to divide it. The endorphin release, adrenaline rush, and come down after the Tottenham versus Chelsea match was a once-in-a-season event, and, that, and it had everybody talking. The top 10 trending topics on Twitter during the 90 minutes were all to do with the match. And of course, why wouldn't it be with such chaos unfolding on a Monday night? We all know by now that Tottenham, of course, went down to nine men. And Nicholas Jackson scored one of the weirdest hat-tricks of all time. But what are the ripples from this match? And also, we have a bonus section this week for you where we're going to have a look at who will be the ever-presence from this Chelsea squad over the next five years. I'm really excited about it. We're calling it Set and Forget. And to do so, we need two great guests. And we have two great guests, fortunately. Uh, Mayoa joins me. Me and Mayo have been, you know, hand in hand for the last couple of weeks. Um, Mayo is from the Football Culture Movement podcast, formerly Stoppage Time, of course. Um, and we uh, we spent a bit of time. Well, there's a bit of a ripple effect, actually. You're sitting here, isn't it? Because yeah, it is. uh, we'd met before, but uh, we were at El Clasico together and I, I haven't been in the studio since then. So shout out to Spotify. Send us to El Clasico. That was decent. Um, Mayo is also sometimes uh, on uh, Righty's House, which is another um, podcast in the Ringer network, of the Spotify network uh, as well. Um, but then last week we were on Saturday Social together as well. We were. So I thought we'd just um, finish it off. Things in threes are the best. Uh, how are you, mate? I am exhausted after that game. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, it's one of the wildest things I've ever seen. But I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I ultimately have a... I'm radiating positive energy. Okay. I, missed, I missed the chaos. I missed the pandemonium. <laughs> right. Okay. Got you. Uh, and also joining me, uh, uh, two Chelsea fans we've got this week because I, I did really want to sort of pick the bones of what I knew was going to be a great match. I think actually the picking of the bones is probably a little bit harder than I thought it would be because I think it would be more football to talk about than anything else. But Matisse, who has a fantastic YouTube channel that's simply the letters M A H. 
Nice and simple. Uh, but you're also all, all over the place. Big, yeah. big Chelsea fan. You've got your Chelsea drip on right now as yeah. well. How are you, Matisse? Absolute pleasure, bro. Um, an honour to be on. And, and the timing is incredible because, as you said, listen, I'm overwhelmed with emotion after what happened yesterday. I, I still can't even believe what I witnessed. So I can't wait to talk about it. Okay. So, yeah, we're going to dive into the game. Um, as I say, really kind of examine what we kind of learnt from it, what ripple effects will come from it, because so many decisions could have gone either way and the list of of decisions i did a reaction on my channel yesterday and i, I literally with about 10 minutes to go tweeted like can someone make me a list here because I, there's so much to go through fortunately there was uh, someone stepped up for me um but then in, in the second half i'm really excited to to find out about this chelsea squad because there are so many question marks on this chelsea squad mm. and if they are good or even if they're not good right now, are they going to be good at some point? And who's going to be good as well? So that set and forget in the second half is going to be wicked because we're going to ask the guys to, and they can do it individually or you can do it together, pick a, a set 11. Let me mute my uh, computer there. A set 11 that you'd have to stick with for the next five years with the players that you feel like are going to kind of fulfil their their potential. Yeah. But let's get back to the game. Uh, obviously, 4-1. And just so odd when you say the words 4-1. But Tottenham seems to have got a lot of the plaudits from this one. I was watching uh, loads of different reactions on YouTube yesterday at one of my favourite channels, Blue Lions TV, with Nini. He was chatting. And I thought, normally he's someone who's quite calm. But he was not in a good place yeah. <laughs> yesterday. And uh, you you took it the other side, which I, I like, uh, for the first sort of 10 minutes on your, on your reaction, where you, you enjoyed it. You enjoyed mm. the fact that you'd won a London you know, derby. Yep. And first of all, actually, where does the, the Tottenham game rank for you in terms of, you know, deep in the sort of needle abilities of your soul? Which yeah. one, where does Tottenham rank in, in, in terms of that game? Because you've had a lot of success with it, but it is one that is quite spicy, right? I, I think for me, Tottenham ranks at the top. And really? It, it, I've always been one to try and calm down the over-hyping of Tottenham in comparison to Chelsea when we go to the stadium and say the players are walking out to the liquidator and they start chanting, we hate Tottenham. I didn't enjoy that as a fan because I thought, why are we showcasing so much disdain for a team that are nowhere near us in right. terms of achievements? But yes. then... On the flip side, I've been to Tottenham versus Chelsea a lot of times. I went to Lampard's win um, with William the double at the new stadium. And it's just a different stench in the air. Like there's a certain disdain and there's something in the cotton fibre and the cloth mm. that you're just like, yo, we need to we need to rise to the occasion. With Arsenal, it's not as toxic. I think with the battle of the bridge and stopping them competing with Leicester for the title and even I say in a joking way, giving them a Carabao Carling Cup in 2000 and, you know, eight, what was it with Woodgate? Like you should be thankful for what we've done right. to contribute. But there's always that little back and forth banter, but there is a lot of rivalry there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hatred there for sure. And you can see it in the players when they, when they play, it's always a great game. The temperature, the temperature of that can change because, yeah. so I found that with them. Um, so obviously, as a QPR fan, I hate Chelsea, mm. right? I hate Chelsea. I was brought up that way. And a bit like I get a lot of comments, but I think I could. You can still talk about it and kind of and navigate it slightly. I thought there should be if there are moments where you need me to go, you need to push me back onto the you know the the, the neutral side. The, the neutral side. <laughs> we will. Then, then, then feel free we'll to just like, you back. hold that mirror because maybe I don't see it myself. But I definitely get a lot of comments. We're going. I think this guy hates Chelsea. <laughs> yes, yes, I hate Chelsea. All right. <laughs> just to be clear, we can still have a discussion. Because we're adults. Um, 
but what's interesting so for me like it does hurt a little bit that like QPR are nowhere near but I totally understand when it comes to those rivalries and so for QPR obviously Chelsea are so far in the distance that we're kind of almost wasting our times but uh, QPR Brentford is an interesting one where Brentford hated Chelsea when they were in you know League Two and were always kind of hating us with a lot more ferocity. A bit like, I would imagine, Tottenham hating Chelsea. I think Tottenham fans probably hate Chelsea a little bit more than the other way around because Chelsea have had that sort of pat-on-the-head ability. Yeah. That, because you're you're the A-side, mm. you know. And But what's a dangerous thing is when the Brentford, which is the Tottenham in this case, if they start to sort of catch up, then you go, okay, well, no, back in your box now. We're like, you've had your moment. But then when they go past you yeah. and then go clear, that is really not a nice thing. And all of a sudden you go, oh, yeah, okay, maybe I maybe I do hate them uh, as well. Yeah. So this, I think with what Tottenham have done so far this year, and look, we'll, we'll get into it because, I mean, it kind of or could sort of burn down from here with all the changes <laughs> that happened in a five, six minute period. Yeah. But, you know, they have been sort of rising pretty quickly. Um, so did it feel a little bit different, this one? I think it felt different because ultimately with where Spurs are this season, they have been the standard bearers of the Premier League, which is a very unusual situation, especially when you're Chelsea with this massive game coming up. And I think a lot of Chelsea fans were probably irritated by the fact that Spurs completely forgot it's a derby game and thought, yeah, well, we're great and they're not. And this is going to be the moment where we teach them that. But this game, as we know, is always chaotic. You mentioned the Battle of the Bridge. There's always moments where it's not football anymore. It's just prime WWE entertainment and it's just about the story plot. And this is what this game was. So yeah. coming into this game, I did feel like we would win. Not in this manner, but I did think there would be this upsetting from us to Spurs because of the magnitude of the moment and being able to see whether they will be able to cope with that moment. Right. I'm not a sort of style of play thing, because I, that was the thing that I had in terms of Chelsea's favour, is that their inability to sort of break down a low block, yeah. as we saw, that wasn't going to be a problem against Tottenham. It yeah. wasn't going to be a low block. So there was always going to be some space in behind. Uh, so where I was going to with the sort of Nini thing was that, um, so when I'm saying Nini, that's, that's the presenter of Blue Lions TV. He was saying, he was asking himself kind of in the sort of monologue that we all have right yeah. when we're doing a match reaction is you're kind of allowing your thoughts to just flow out he was saying maybe I'm entitled and I'm okay with that but he was really angry at the performance yeah. you had a, an understanding that the bottom line is you've just won 4-1 away from home mm. in a London derby so my, my initial question is can you enjoy that victory I think yes and no ultimately with Chelsea this season Given the run that we're in in this moment, when you saw the big games coming up, you thought, oh my word, this could be scary. But we've actually performed well against big teams. Yeah. You know, Liverpool was whatever Liverpool was. Arsenal, we should have won. It was 2-2. Yeah. So this game, you thought we could turn up. I think the issue is against Arsenal, we got a one of, one of the goal you would never see again and a penalty. This time, we got a penalty <laughs> and a hat-trick, which... <laughs> one of the worst hat-tricks of all time hat you see <laughs> and ultimately it was against nine men and it's about okay ultimately are we always going to have to beat teams when they have one or two of their arms behind their back that's not sustainable yeah we're still we make chances but don't score clear-cut chances so it's like you feel good you have this moment Spurs fans are angry 
but you feel dirty. Yeah, it's a really dirty right. win, <laughs> but you just have to be shameless sometimes. Be like, listen, a win's a win. Let's get out of here. But it does feel there is a bit of dirt on it. Is, is there a is there an expectation crisis at Chelsea where like there's almost a freeing nature to playing Liverpool and playing? Arsenal, you've got Newcastle and Man City in the next two, which kind of, I guess, like, I mean, if that is a thing, that's a, it's a great time to have that thing. Um, whereas, like, the expectations to beat Brentford, which you just don't yeah. do, it seems, which is also really annoying. Because they're like, <laughs> okay, be in the Premier League, Brentford, but don't beat Chelsea, please. Um, but that inability to to break down these these guys when you're. I think in your mind and, you know, the shell of Chelsea at the very least, you yeah. would expect that you to sort of win those g- games convincingly. Is that is that is that a thing? Ch- Chelsea right now is a very much a Hannah Montana moment for me. You, <laughs> Go you, on. You put the blonde wig on, you're on stage and you're singing like it's Tottenham away. You're getting excited. You're like, we just beat them. You know, hold that. But then when you're Miley and you're Billy Ray Cyrus in, in the crib with the, with the guitar, you're, you're singing slow, sad <laughs> jams. Amazing. And you're like, did that really just happen? And to your point, sometimes... I try to go down the tactical route and I will now, but I've also tried to also stick with the emotions because football sure. is about emotions and sure. you you do create that connection with these derbies and you're like, regardless of the circumstances, I'm happy to win. And like Chelsea fans would have taken any win, but it's was the that way more it important? Was. So, so, you know, obviously you've got the three points. Say you'd like played them off the park yeah. and they'd snuck a draw. Would you, would you have taken that over the feeling that you have today? I, I wouldn't have, but I think... There's two sides to it. Because Chelsea have dropped points this season where they have been the better team, I feel like we were kind of, we feel like we were kind of owed a performance where we weren't playing so well, but we got the three points because there's been other times where we haven't done that. I think the manner of the fact that we talk about high lines versus low blocks, Chelsea have played a lot of high lines. Maybe because teams don't respect Chelsea anymore. They're just like, they look at Chelsea and they say, listen, we can play a high line. Do you think that's the thing? I think so. I think when you finish mid-table last season and you you missed the high quality chances that we missed, you look at Aston Villa, they played a very high line with Emery at the bridge, similar to what they did at Anfield, but Liverpool took advantage. We didn't, we lost the game. You look at Bournemouth, very high line. Fulham, very open, very exposed. Burnley, they've been doing that this season with company. Again, very exposed. We've won some of those games. We've lost some of those games. But I think Tottenham with Postacoglu, I, I always question, would he have done that against Manchester City? Maybe he's really stubborn. Maybe he's another, another deserve where he's just sticking to his principles. He won't flinch. But I do think there was an element of, do you know what? Chelsea we don't need to be scared. Even if they do lob this ball over the top, they're not going to necessarily gonna score. five, six, and, seven and chances. You only have to look at the amount of times we clipped over the top, someone was offside, over hit pass, missed a big chance. Like it was just, it was it was an eyesore up until the, the Jackson second goal. Well, yeah, because so I've heard a lot of people talking about, uh, you know, the the sort of, and I was chatting about it with, with Kai, our producer, because when we're, you know, doing games, we're just literally chatting to each other the whole time. And we were talking about like, what is he doing here? Like with this high line. And do you think that could be... Uh, I think I saw it certainly with the Liverpool-Newcastle game in a different way where it was... They wanted to keep the, the pitch as small as possible so that they could have the ball and, and kind of keep it. Tottenham weren't as capable of doing that. But the high line, this idea that it was an, a pragmatic approach, it was... But the definition of, of pragmatism is an approach that evaluates theories or beliefs in terms of the success of their practical application. So I know that is obviously I know there's a lot of definitions of this way. But but the point is is that if he if he knows that his team knows how to play that way and is very good at pressing, it's all they've done. Yeah. 
then if you can make the pitch as small as possible, that gives you the opportunity to press. And it also gives you the opportunity to find a way out of tight areas because you've got players that are kind of used to that and allowing Madison to go wherever he wants to or players to go wherever they want to, to have that kind of freedom. So as much as it looked wild, and it did look wild, mm. there was an element of, of, one, it's the best way that Tottenham felt like they, they could get a result. And also, it kind of preyed on the, the weaknesses of Chelsea because it was like, okay, you're going to get through, but one, Vicario knows this is coming and he's going to come out and, and take out uh, you know the, the ball a lot of the time, which he did brilliantly. Yeah. But also... They were sort of. It was banking on the fact that you couldn't finish, right? Yeah. Which is a good thing to to like. It, is, it definitely bank on, is. Right? And they still had chances. They they still had yeah. moments where they could have. There's three the game big chances yeah. with nine men, didn't they? Which I yeah. guess is another thing that's. Is it one where you would allow put that to one side in terms of uh, the situation of the game? Because I think this is what gets forgotten a lot as well in football. And you know we can run through the the different. Um, calls as well when it comes to penalties and things like that. I say, say with the Romero thing, you know what he's doing, right? Mm-hmm. But I also would suggest that that is in the penalty area in a hectic moment where Van der Ven's just nearly swiped someone and kind of got away with it. He's then also had a bad touch, so there's an element of panic in there as well. I feel like all these like things in the ether are like forgotten about when it comes to these different moments. Mm-hmm. So in terms of those couple of chances for Tottenham near the end... Yeah. Did that infuriate you as as Chelsea fans, or or were you just going, well, this game's a bit crazy, and the crowd, if you get a set piece, the crowd's gonna be up for it, and so that can lead to a sort of brains melting a little bit. I think for me, what the disappointing thing was is when you're going against. It's so funny. Cole Palmer was asked in the game, and the the reporter was trying to find his best way of phrasing the question. He was like, was it was it more difficult playing against yeah. nine men and Cole Palmer goes no it was no. easier I think the reporter was like well it didn't look, look. easier <laughs> yeah. there's something going on there I think ultimately when the team goes down to nine men you think about most of the better teams in this league a Man City would punish them would make them do laps around the pitch Chelsea don't have that ability so when the Eric Dyer offside goal happens you think this is inevitable because we're always going to concede a chance mm. what a finish by the way what an amazing finish wow. it was like an old school Gary Kay who will be in the box yeah. centre half finish and I, you know if, he had, if that had counted you have nothing to say to it because we didn't take our chances yeah. and even their free opportunities they don't matter if we bury ours sure again yeah. and it, bank, it goes back to what you were saying about ultimately they're banking on the fact that when they go through when we go through and goal Chelsea are not clinical so I think to, to, to answer what you're saying with with just Chelsea in that moment you probably don't think about that moment because there's so much that happened in the game but this is why people like me are so frustrated because for everyone else watching they're just looking and saying Chelsea are comical for Chelsea fans watching we're thinking this is just if you wanted to define what Chelsea are it was that game yeah Right. We can score goals maybe, but scoring four goals in that game is not an achievement. We should have scored 10. Yeah. <laughs> and we should have conceded a lot more as well. Yeah. And so what was... Because you can break the game into, you know, before the sending off and after it. And I think before it, Tottenham looked really great for the first 10 minutes. Then Chelsea kind of found their way a little bit. I thought Sterling was, again, a like constant threat for, for Chelsea when it was, you know, 10, 11 versus 11. Yeah. But then... After that, you know, in the bulk of the game when they've got 10 men, then nine men. What were the biggest frustrations for you? Because so one for me, the one thing I didn't truly understand was, OK, there was this really high line, but there wasn't really that outrageous amount of width from Chelsea. Yeah. When again, they are, you know, Tottenham were looking to be c- compact. What, why do you think that was? 
I just, I think when you're coming up against nine men, I expect you to control the game better than we did, which is obviously the chances that we conceded in the latter stage. I think you should be able to bop them around and you should be able to make them work for it and tire them out, especially on that big pitch as well. But there was just a lack of cohesion. You really saw the lack of understanding between players. You look at Sterling and Jackson against Bournemouth, 2v1 on a goalkeeper. Sterling doesn't pass. We don't score. We could have won that game. You look at this game, Sterling could have played it to Jackson a few times, doesn't. Obviously, he assists him later on, but... It just felt like very basics. This is training ground stuff. Nine men on a high line, on the halfway line. There's two things you need to do. Weight of pass and timing of run. One or the other was wrong multiple times. Mm. And then if we did get that right, the decision making was awful in the final third. And it was just, it felt like something that a coach shouldn't even have to be involved in at that point. It felt like just pure basics of football just do the basics and you will win this game clearly you're mm. up against a high line I think if Tottenham have gone to a low block obviously it doesn't suit them but that also doesn't suit us because we know we can't crack low blocks very well maybe when we talk about sustaining energy they wanted to keep the ball obviously in our half and but they left a very high line Vicario had to you know be a, a prime manual Neuer basically yeah. and they had to continuously track back and, 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 and chase those runs if they had gone to a low block they don't put so much energy into it. Maybe they just stay stationary and just block off all of the, you know, the, the passing lanes and, and shove us out wide. But I just feel like we know we're we're better against high lines because at least we can create. And it was, you know, if you could have asked the higher powers, what do you want? Madison's out. Adogi's yeah. now out. Van der Ven, Romero is out. You're, you're now looking at Eric Dyer. You're looking at Hoiberg, Royale. These are players that probably haven't played really regularly since Fulham when they were knocked out of the Carabao Cup. And it's nine men. It's like, it couldn't be more handed on a platter did, if you tried. But did it sort of, um, <laughs> did it frazzle the, the young minds a little bit? Did you sort of, it, for me, it screamed inexperience yeah. a, lot, a lot of the play there because you were kind of going, they were just a bit confused. And I mean, I don't think, to be fair to them, I don't think we've seen that very, very often, no. that, kind of, yeah. <laughs> that kind of high line. And then in those areas, you yes, you're aware you're playing against nine, but actually it becomes quite a congested area mm. because they, they weren't, as a group, able to figure it out. And Poch, for whatever reason, was able to totally yeah. um, get his message across in terms of what he wanted. I think there was a there was an air of desperation as well. I think ultimately... It was getting there, wasn't it? Was it? Getting yeah, there yeah. Like, it was starting to count it, down. It's almost like when the two sendings off happened, the Chelsea forward line midfield fought themselves. If we don't do anything here, this is really embarrassing. Yeah. And you start seeing it at a certain point where there's a standoff between having the ball in a deep position and everyone lining up like British Bulldog getting <laughs> yeah, ready to yeah, run it forward. Was like that, right? And it was almost like, no, I, I know which pass to do. And Cole Palmer was probably the one player that was trying to slow it down a little bit, then make the key pass. Mm. But there was times where I was seeing Cucurello run through. It's like, no, I can do it. <laughs> and each time anyone went through, it was like, oh my gosh, we cannot score. And it just epitomizes where, you know, Chelsea are that they know that this is the one opportunity you can take to make a big moment. And there's so much fear because we've not been able to do the basics now that there's almost more expectation to do the basics when it's easier for you. Yeah, right. And how ironic is it that the goals that were scored by Nico Jackson were literally, if you don't score these, then we have a big issue. It's yep. literally on the plate. You have, to, you have to eat here. So I think that's where it was. And again, to the previous question you asked before about whether it's something we can kick on from, it's really hard to know because... It wasn't a momentous moment. It was just sort of like a, you saved yourself the shame. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than you did a really good job. Yeah. It, it felt a bit like 
when Scotland would be in a really bad place and they play San Marino and it's <laughs> nil-nil at half-time and everyone's like, come on. Yeah. Like, no one's saying it, but everyone's eyes are screaming it, yeah. going, yeah. we better, we, if we don't win this game, like, yeah. it's not, it's look not good. worth, yeah, it's not looking good. So, um, yeah, I mean, but you did, of course, you got it. And I think that, the thing that I did keep coming back to in terms of what I was kind of seeing was there is so much talent in that squad. Mm. And, and that's why it's difficult because there's talent... And it's I, so inexperienced though. It's so a lack of composure. Yeah, there, isn't and it? you saw that in the first fifteen minutes where I thought that that place would eat them alive, like the the cauldron and the atmosphere and the occasion of Pochettino in the pre-match press conference and the quotes and the the expectation. And if we had lost that game, Pochettino would have been under some pressure from some parts of the Chelsea fan base for sure, because where we are in the position in the table and 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 the fact that you know the build up to the game and and then the result and where Tottenham are, I think two new managers coming in, we've obviously been heavily back financially. They've yeah. lost Harry Kane, yeah. you know, and they're still managing to put performances in with arguably a more difficult fixture list as well. So I think there was so much riding on that game for that young group and the walls were kind of closing in. It was getting very claustrophobic on the pitch and mentally because it was like, you guys literally have to deliver right now or it is lights out for a lot of, a lot of people. With Pochettino <laughs> then, because yeah, I mean, God, the, the ripple effect of losing that game would have been like you say, there would have been this new Man pressure. City next. Man City, <laughs> Newcastle. I mean, you've just got loads of horrible games. What would have been, what are the critiques that you would have of Pochettino between now, uh, up, up at this moment? It's, it's a really interesting one because we're speaking about a young team. We're speaking about a plethora of players to choose from. And we're speaking about loads of injuries as well. So ultimately, he's like this master chef that's trying to make this meal and he's not too sure what quantities of ingredients he needs. And if you look at a positive, you look at the Chelsea front line that's been consistent for a while now. And you look at Cole Palmer has three goals. Nico Jackson has five goals. Sterling has three goals. And you thought, like, OK, something's building here. But you look at the grander scale and to what you mentioned before, there's a perception issue at Chelsea. People always look at Chelsea as being this m massive Chelsea that we've always been, not realising for the last three to four seasons, we've not been that. Mm. So we're not going to get there overnight. We finished, what, 10th last year. Yeah. We're not going to automatically be challenging for a title. We're going to be in this middle ground. And for him so far, what he has to do is manage this expectation of make us play well, make us have something to believe in. But at the same time, right now, we're not exactly that. There's mm -hmm. always this, like, there's hope. There's potential, which is a word you always use with young players, but you want a manager to come in and sort of eradicate that. Yeah. Again, if you look at his counter number and just come in and probably skip a year of the, the whole process, he's managed to implement his football principles and there's a feeling around it. I think mm. the thing that Pochettino is probably lacking at the moment more than anything is the feeling. Yeah. He's doing the right things. He's putting the right building blocks for me, but I don't think a lot of fans have a feeling to what he's doing yet. Therefore, the excitement is hard to sort of find. Yeah. Personally. With, with that word identity you hear all the time and you're hearing a lot certainly with Postacoglu and what he's done there. Do you see Pochettino's identity? I think for the bare basics, he clearly wants a lot of energy in the team. I think that's why Gallagher's been instrumental. The high press... We had that really well figured out in preseason with Jackson and whatnot, Madrid. It was a good preseason. It wasn't was it? a good preseason coming Everyone's in, and, and it did build up a little bit of confidence. But yeah. I think 
the issue with Poch is there's been a few moments of positions where players have been playing in unfamiliar zones where you're thinking, why is Colwell at left back when you've got left backs? Why is De Sassi at right back when you've got right backs? Why is Chilwell earlier on the season at left wing when you even have arguably Matson who in preseason played in those higher forward areas but can compensate defensively and still give you that balance? So there's been a few things that have been real head scratches in terms of his decision making and in-game management, some of the substitutions and the timing of them as well, not really being able to influence the game as much as you want. But then I do sympathise with him and I'm, I wanted Poch at Chelsea, so I've probably even got more leeway than most. Right. When it comes to what we saw against Tottenham, it's like, well, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, you've coached, yeah. a, you've coached a 10-1 here. Right. Obviously, there was red cards in this context, but it's like, it just goes to show that even when you do have a, and he has had some really good days out as a manager where he's got everything right, this team is incapable of finishing and taking his chances. And that's where the players have to take responsibility. And because we rate and rank these players highly to a level where yes we know they're young and they've got potential but they're not championship footballers like there's a lot of talent there's a lot of money spent yeah finding that middle ground of patience versus expectation and it's it's tough with with everything because it's the first year and there's a lot of movement it's a brand new squad mm. so yeah trying to gauge that is, is young is... players as well i think ultimately naturally with all young players you kind of have these moments where they're very high and they're very low mm. and at the moment you need consistency on the pitch to be able to find your your rhythm mm. And ultimately, as you're saying, when Poch is changing things, it's kind of like, well, who are the go-to men that we can just trust? And that's only one You've side of it. You've got two, haven't you? Yeah. You know, you have Sterling and you have Silver. That is it, right? And those are your senior right pros. Yeah, Rhys James, I guess, a little bit. Rhys James injured, Chilwell yeah. injured, yeah. captain and vice-captain, by the way. Yeah. But the two suit of season pros that are constantly there are Thiago Silva and Sterling. And I would probably say De Sassi is a French international, but he's not really been in the squad. He's been in and out. Nah, he started yeah, yeah, and then yeah. backed out. So yeah. it's literally two. That's not enough. No, that's and, really, and really Sterling not. is a very hit and miss footballer where he'll have a great moment and then he'll be incredibly frustrating and do something that you think an 18-year-old would do on mm. the football pitch. So he is not even like a guarantee leading figure in an attack. It's it's kind of been forced upon him. But when you look at him at Manchester City, he was part of the supporting casting act. Like he wasn't someone that was depended you know we didn't depend on him it was just kind of part of the team uh, we are we're going to come back to going through the whole squad one final question on, on that because it just popped into my head and i think it's interesting if there was one player that you've kind of let go in the last three years <laughs> active player right now that you would love just to bring in and be that man as you say mm. who would be the guy that you go you just love to plonk him in Wow, that's a great question. That is a great question. We need striker. <laughs> but it would have, have anyone. It would have to be a forward. Um, do you know what's so mad? This is a controversial one, yeah. But I spoke to a lot of Chelsea fans and I was saying, who in our team guarantees us 10 Premier League goals? Marcus Alonso. <laughs> <laughs> that's not where I was going but that is that is amazing. Not where I was going. But it was like, no one could speak about seasons where we've actually done that. And there's one man that did manage to do that without any pens and he was chased out of the club. I know who you're going to say. Double M. Tammy. All right. Mason, Mason got pens. Yeah. He got 11, but yeah. Tammy Abraham got 15 in that he season. Did. He had no pens. It was literally similar situation to where it is now. And it was sort of like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. He may not have been good enough for what people perceive Chelsea to be, but with where Chelsea were, yep. he was literally it was perfect. And, and in this team, I think he probably easily gets double figures. If you look at where Chelsea have gone in that position, they've not made any improvements. No. Like It's been a massive transfer in Lukaku, heavy investment on Havertz, who's played <laughs> potentially out of position. No one still knows his position yeah. to this day. Then, then it's Jackson and it's Broyer and it's... There is no 
there is no improvement from Tammy Abraham. So as much as he couldn't really head the ball and he was a bit flimsy and would fall, he, he did part the numbers. Though, yeah, he? he was yeah. young and he part the numbers and he was still getting into his frame. And you're, so you're that, right. would you go with him? I would. That's actually a great shout. I, I did, did I you have another name in your head? No, Marcus no. Alonso was my shameless answer. That was a great shout. Much better than mine. Okay, I have an Ange Postacoglu ripple effect, which I'll reveal in a second. But first of all, let's start with Tottenham. So here's a ripple for you guys. Uh, the suspensions and injuries from this match could see some breakthrough stars in the Tottenham team. So players who could likely miss Tottenham's next match, Udogi and Romero, of course, both suspended. Udogi, by the way. Mm. What are you doing, son? <laughs> the second one. Uh, the second one, I just couldn't get my head but around it. Do you it. know like, what's funny about it, though? That doesn't happen if Raheem Sterling trusts Jackson. He looks up, sees Jackson, he thinks that the safer option is Cole Palmer. He goes the other way and then Udogi just goes through. Yeah, yeah. And Udogi, to be honest, in the first tackle, the two-footed one where he was coming off the ground. He could have gone off of that. Eridogi, I call him. <laughs> yeah. Took off first class. That guy could have been sent off then. Yeah. So he yeah, got I think, uh, yes, yeah, I think it's, <laughs> the fact that he left the field to play at some point was, was fair. Uh, Madison and Van der Ven injured. And the Van der Ven one looked... Really bad, mm. which is, you know, who knows how long that one could be. So is this the end of the world? Tottenham's under-23s are currently top of Premier League 2 with eight wins from eight. In that team, they have an attacking midfielder slash second striker named Jamie Donnelly. So, guys, is what we're always trying to do. We're trying to give you a little bit of insight, pop it in your back pocket, and when you need him, when he comes off the bench, Jamie Donnelly, that's Jamie Donnelly, you can say, yeah, I think he got four goals and eight assists and eight appearances this season. Now, he's a potential star boy. You can say that, okay? So there you go. That's yours. Uh, and just showing in the past that he's willing to give youth a chance if they're good enough. This could see him get on the bench against Wolves at the weekend. The funny thing is that he wears the number nine for Spurs under 23s, but he has the qualities of a 10 in terms of creativity and invading those half spaces, a bit like Madison. Madison's injury could see him become the 10 that Spurs needs. So remember the name, Jamie Donnelly but I think I wonder if there's like players like um, Brian Hill and La Celso I think it's time for those guys to kind of uh, step up uh, speaking of injuries Van der Ven's injury will mean more hamstrings get torn with both with both Romero and VDV out the likelihood is that it'll be two of these three playing at centre-back Hoybier who did well didn't he I yeah. mean, it was an odd game, and you, yeah. you never, you, it's difficult to compare that with an, a proper game of football. Um, but Eric Dyer <laughs> and Davies. But, you know, to have Dyer and Hoiberg and to play that way and to kind of get away with it, there were a couple of times where the ref, the linesman doesn't put his flag up initially because they're all afraid, aren't they, these days? Yeah. And I, if I was Hoiberg, I would be looking at the line and going, come on, mate, like, give me a break. Can we just, can you because if you put it up, there's a 20 yard sprint I don't have to make. <laughs> um, with a high line needing a lot of pace, it will mean that these players will be targeted frequently with over the top balls. This means that they'll be doing shuttle sprints for 90 minutes and <laughs> they haven't played this much, uh, that much this season between them. The lack of minutes coupled with specialist roles could lead to an injury crisis for Tottenham at the back. And last ripple when it comes to Tottenham. Had Eric Dyer been onside for that volley, would this have been the game of the season? Eric Dyer's ruled out goal came minutes after Jackson made it 2-1 to Chelsea. It would have made the score 2-2 at the time. Would Tottenham have secured a draw if it had counted? And how embarrassing for Chelsea would that have been? 
I mean, very embarrassing. It's Probably short the answer, right? most embarrassing result for sure. Hundred percent. Recent times. So with Tottenham, how do you feel about them now? You know, as you say, Romero is was it a straight red as well? Right, once it was all, he'll be, he'll uh, be all gone said and done. Games, yeah, yeah. Uh, Udogi. That would be just one. Madison, we don't truly know how bad his ankle is at the mm. time of recording. Van der Ven did look really bad. Yeah. Uh, this was the thing that we we're always throwing at Tottenham. We go, oh, if they get a couple of injuries, then they're finished. Are they finished? It's a great question. I think ultimately, as we've alluded to, Ange plays with these principles and they go for it. And it means that I don't think he's going to be compromising at all. So the new recruits that come into that side are going to have to play the same way. Are they the best individuals to play that football? No. <laughs> but... Ultimately, that's what they're trained for. And I think Madison was the key one because in my head, I knew in January that Basuma, Saar and Son were going to leave for a period of time because of AFCON and Asia Cup. Yep. The Madison one was the one that was unknown if he gets injured. Van der Ven, same thing. Romero, same thing. So it's not the ones they've been waiting for. Mm. And the depth just isn't there. They've yep. now gone from a situation where they could have been in January and thinking, we're in with a chance here. Let's add to the squad. They're now in a place where it's like, if you want to just be in and amongst it, we need to add to the squad. So it's a really, really tricky one for them. But again, this is the first time they've been faced real adversity. Mm. A lot of what we've praised them about is their spirit and the, the sort of community that Ange's built around the club. So it'll be really interesting to see how they carry that spirit with different players against Villa and, and Wolves coming up. How do you feel about him not having a plan B? Is that, is that um, foolhardy? I think you see it a lot in modern day management now. Deserbi is a prime example where even if they concede a goal from a press at Anfield against Liverpool, they'll do exactly the same thing moments later. I think this was a win for Ange in his mind, even though they lost because we. I can look at it and say it's you know kind of crazy to play Kamikaze, even to play a high line against Chelsea with nine men and have all that space. Mm. But he'll say, I've stuck to my principles and you guys won't be playing with nine men most weeks. So you're going to continue to pursue those principles throughout the, the the season. And you're going to take a lot more points as they have done up until this point, then you'll lose. And it kind of sets a precedent, I think, for that Tottenham team where he said, listen, even if we had five, we'd still play the same way. <laughs> and yeah. it's very it's very much a feeling where they've banked so many points early on, they're overachieving. A lot of Tottenham fans at the start of the season said, season's a write-off. We have no expectations. We don't know the manager particularly well. He's coming from Celtic, of course. Celtic do usually dominate that league. I think it's, you know, nine out of the last 10 Rangers had one under Steven Gerrard. Yeah. And, you know, we have to build a whole philosophy and we've lost our best player and recruitment wise, you know, there's a lot of unknown quantities coming in outside of maybe Madison. So for him to have banked this many points in early doors, it allows for this period that potentially they may go through. What I'm interested to see, I don't think he'll have a plan B. I think he'll stick with exactly what he's doing. What I'm interested to see is whether or not the ownership and the powers that be above back them in January and really push them on. Because that's exactly mm. what we said of last season with Arsenal. Massive overachievers. They've gone from a top four battle and missing out to Tottenham to now being in the title race. And then they needed to be heavily backed in that January window with a couple of signings to say, listen, here's your you know credit for your good work. So I'd be interested to see if they... If they if he gets that from from his board. I'm intrigued to see as well. So like say they get a bit streaky now because mm. they just don't have the kind of personnel. It's amazing how a couple of results either way can affect your confidence. And if you are going to be so positive and play out from the back and you know that before all the problems I think that the you know the penalty and the the disallowed gold came from Tottenham kind of 
trying to half clear or play a silly pass, trying to play play the ball out. And they've kind of got away with it at times. And because they're so positive, that's led to, you know, going out and getting goals in moments where, again, if you'd been the opposite, you might be, uh, you know, a bit safer defensively, but, you know, offensively, you're not going to score as many goals. So it'd be interesting to see how, if they were to drop points, drop points, drop points, by the time we get to January, what the feeling will be. Because, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a manager as liked as quickly mm. as this guy. Yeah. Um, a couple of quick ones on Chelsea, and then I do want to talk about Postacoglu's comments after it. I think there's some ripple effects there. So, quick one. Is, Jack, is Jackson actually good? So, he scored a hat-trick, <laughs> but he did register 2.77 XG, meaning that he only just outperformed his XG. He also had six shots during the match, and they there were a few that he should have taken, one kind of right near the end. Is the ripple effect of his hat-trick and man of the match award that he'll start to be super clinical in front of goal, or does he just not have that streak in him? Where are you at with Jackson? I th- with with Jackson, I think in the preseason there was a lot of good signs, there was a lot of encouragement, and ultimately, I think when you look at his sort of career, he was supposed to get a move to Bournemouth, so that's the level that he was perceived to be at. He's now at Chelsea, which is a big pair of striking boots to fill, and he does a lot of stuff right. But the bit that pays the bills and is the most clinical part is the bit that's really difficult with him, and I think ultimately, I don't think he's gonna ever become become the most cultured, instinctive finisher because it's just not within him. Can he be coached to be better? Maybe, but this will fill him with confidence. You saw with his plethora of celebrations, he clearly enjoyed this moment, probably a little bit too much. Uh, that, but... uh, where do you stand on the sea? It was, that was an utter disgrace. It was very, Worse than it was very shameless. I'm not going to lie. It's a very shameless situation where you're Disgusting. watching someone and it, it just showed the, the, the youth of the group because it was like, everybody's watching them just like, Wow, I don't mean, do that. You want your goal. <laughs> oh, he's jumping in the air, he's well spinning. Done. What is he doing? They're going crazy, like, shh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not so sure about this, but you know, enjoy your moment. Like, have your day out. <laughs> and, and, and this is the thing. I think ultimately, in terms of the feeling that it would give him, I think it will encourage him to keep going. But you saw the goals that he scored came from a very specific play that you have to put it on the plate for him. Mm. And that's not a bad thing if you can continue to make those chances. But I feel like he's he's conversion economy is not the greatest especially in the games for us a team like us you may only get a half chance that you have to score and I think that's where the issue is so I think he does have a streak in him definitely the runs he makes are perfect and he kind of got the move because he'd had a really strong yeah. streak of goals didn't yeah. it? if you look at his goals like in um, pre-season a lot of them was plays in behind whether it was Matson or it was in Cuckoo playing that ball in behind a high line and then he was kind of rounding goalkeepers and finishing you take a look at his goals yesterday they're tap-ins he's got space he's got time once he's met with some sort of um you know, friction. Once he's met with some sort of combative defender who's going to be up against and and kind of barge him and put him off balance, the finishing goes out the window. Mm. I've been very complimentary of the fact that he's able to drop deep and he's able to link up the play, link up with Palmer, link up with Mudrick, you know, dribble, completed, no problem. But maybe because I'm traumatised from previous strikers where they can't do that. And I've, you know, with Chelsea, it's been a thing of, we've had strikers that are good finishers like Lukaku, you know, Timo Werner, we had come in who was very kind of, um, predictable. He could only play one certain type of way. wasn't able to really join him with the with the general play. It was frustrating technically. Yeah. And then we've gone to a player that technically is actually fairly well rounded. He could yep. play as a winger. He could go past players. Complete. He could create chances, but can't finish. Mm. And it's you need to find that middle ground. Man City's, Liverpool's, with Nunes and Haaland's, they can afford to have that nine that doesn't necessarily have fifty touches and doesn't get involved because their chance creation is so good. Ours, we're still working on it, so we need our striker to get involved, like a Jesus, and and bring it all together. But that 
box movement from him isn't good enough and airily something that we've struggled with even with Tammy as well in the past just isn't good enough as well so it limits us heavily when we're trying to get goals the key thing about his finishing as well for me is if he doesn't have to think about it I think he does really well mm. it's when he has loads of time so for instance in the game yesterday the goal that he should have scored for the hat-trick where Mudrick plays across to him he completely wastes the opportunity <laughs> but when it's put on the plate he just manages to, to do it. Mm. And I think that's the key thing about, you know, knowing the sort of striker you have, people would probably say the same thing with Darwin Newitz. If it needs to be cute, it won't happen. But if it's like a foie and a front, <laughs> he's going to make it happen. But again, I think at this that's level... That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> what's, that? Isn't that, what's that called? Onomatopoeia? Really, really like, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean in a sound. Brilliant. Well done. And, and, that's, and that's the issue with Jackson. I don't think he's going to get enough of those sort of KDB sound. <laughs> he's not going to get... the he's not a foie no he's not and I don't think we Cole Palmer's a great creator but I don't think he's going to necessarily get the, the level of chance that we created yesterday where it's just you and the goal open and all you have to do is just apply a little bit of force to get the ball into the net but he's young he's yeah. young and we're in sure transition there is very I was chatting to Kai about this the other day is it, there's so few strikers out there right there is. now and so few young strikers and I don't know what the sound is but like if you think of when I was watching Nicholas Jackson there's moments where and we've seen it over the years. There's certain strikers that have a certain coolness and composure yep. in the box. And I watched uh, yesterday. I was thinking, Harry Kane scores that. Harry, Harry Kane. You know the goal recently for England where he allows the defender to come just so he can kind of keep him, a, a, yep. a, give him a little nudge to give himself. He's so in control of his own body. That box is his home. <laughs> and exactly. And where the goal is, where the ball is, and what he needs to do to score those goals. You know. Alan Shearer had that. I'm sure like everyone listening right now can think of that player that might not have had some elements, but and Harry Kane's outrageously complete. But like even like I, I think it was like we had a player, you had a player called Andy Thompson who did nothing but score goals. <laughs> That's all he could do. Mm. Or Charlie Austin. Again, people will laugh at that, yeah. but he has it in his DNA. Yep. And there's not many strikers. Lewandowski has that. There's not many strikers in modern football that really have that. And, and that's why going into this season, it was a massive debate because Jackson's 22, Villarreal, I think the season before last, he was in the second division of, of Spain. Right, zero pressure on him, and, really. And really small sample size of just absolutely smashing it towards the back end. Purple patch. Racking up some goals, but then you're now going to you know lead the line for Chelsea. Mm. But the striker market was so poor and it was so controversial as like, who should we go with? You know, it, it wasn't a clear you know, option out there. Sometimes right. not doing anything is the best option because you can go and you look at the contracts that Chelsea have put players on. You can go and bring in the striker, maybe a Vlavic, who they weren't really convinced on. Stick him on a seven, eight year deal. He had suffered with injuries last year. Chelsea's medical situation is not the best. Mm. He then, you know, he could have racked those up this season and then Chelsea would have someone on a long-term contract on a big wage they couldn't shift, which they've made that mistake before with the Aubameyangs, the Lukaku's, the Maratas. So sometimes doing nothing is the right thing to do. And I think Chelsea did that, but that's why we are continuously still linked with Ivan Tony. And I think you look at the Bayern Munich situation in particular with Harry Kane. I remember watching the German Super Cup first game of the season. I think Kane was on the bench. And Tell, who's really talented, French, yeah. young striker, he started and he missed so many chances and then Kane comes on and you can kind of see the, the levels but I think Jackson what he needs is someone to guide him that experienced striker whether it's a Tony or someone else to kind of say listen pressure's off kid mm. I'm a teacher the ropes here's training these are the finishes kind of work on your instep you know get a variety of, of finishes to your game and then you can come off the bench and have that little kind of back and forth with me but I'm not blocking your timeline so to yeah. speak because mm. I am 28 and That's you an are 22 one. 
That's it. So again, one for tweet me or tweet the guys. Who is that guy? You're essentially, like a little Robbie Fowler back in the day when you know went back to yeah. Liverpool. Yeah, that would be a really good shout mm. for, for someone like Chelsea. Um, so here's the Ange thing. The, the comments after he's talking about essentially, you know, the erosion of the authority for referees. That felt <laughs> as much as it was like a, a really clever comment. The ripple effect of those comments, I think that stokes the fire with the rivalry with Arteta because he is very clear in the fact that he says Premier League managers need to just basically get on with it. Mm. And when he's saying Premier League managers, he's not saying Premier League managers. <laughs> even if he wants to just say, even if he's trying to avert from having that kind of moment, yeah. he is calling out Arteta a touch. Yeah. Yep. And I think there's a huge ripple effect here, both in, in a couple of ways. First of all, if you go back a couple of steps... What Arteta does after the Newcastle game, it is so, for me, looked so calculated and clinical and it's straight out of the, like, you got the handbook out and you go, okay, we've lost first game in a season. Is there something else I can attribute to? This is the Mourinho chapter. And he's going, oh, okay, right, let's blame it on the referee. And so he, and, and these are the obligations that you have as a, as a manager. You have to, you know, you have the Sky Sports and then you've got the other guys and then you've got the press conference after and, you know, disgusting, disgrace, embarrassment, again, around, around, around. It says it again and again and again. It felt... Been here twenty years. Yeah, man. It felt as much as it was. It was heavy, and dramatic. It felt really calculated to me. Mm. And I thought he thought we've got an opportunity to be the victim here, so we're not talking about the fact that they didn't really get that close to breaking down one shot on target. A really, really good Newcastle side, yeah. or a very yeah, it is a really good Newcastle yeah. side. Um, but it was an obvious tap in he fought at the time. I think. Yeah. And a possible thing where I think this happened maybe, was it last year? He didn't get like, the rub of the green. He went pretty heavy on it. And then a couple of weeks later, something kind of worked back in his favour. <laughs> but it has aged pretty badly, hasn't it? Mm. Like really, really badly. And and what Ange has said, and being this like, why don't we all just get on with it? Which I think is the feeling of a lot of kind of football fans. Will that make, I think already the neutrals preferred Ange. Yeah. But is this going to make... Arteta the bad guy the villain yeah it's, it's, the, it's the beginning of the villain arc and ultimately Andrew's <laughs> been so calculated with I think he, it genuinely is, genuinely is his personality but in those moments when you're just able to sort of take away the fire and just be like listen guys it's football we just got to move on there's, a, an, a, there's this warm feeling that people gravitate towards you Arteta at the moment based on that comments and based on this it's not warm and if anything instead of making the authorities probably scared they're probably looking at him like well probably not going to benefit you going forward <laughs> anymore. But it's so mad because all of this starts from, in the ripple effect, it starts from Klopp. Klopp started this. Klopp started all of this by making it into a pantomime thing where it's like, we're going to put a club statement out. Replay. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> now, Arsenal put a club statement out. So it's not, well, every moment, are we going to have club statements now? And the, the replay tweet that everyone is going to put out time and time again, that's not going anywhere, <laughs> is it? play right? a second leg. <laughs> right, and that's because the new one's a statement because they've now put out, both put out a statement. Mm. I mean, how do you, yeah? How do you feel about the clubs putting out statements? <laughs> well, first of all, I think both managers had the same mission statement. I think both of them were trying to they were trying to defend their players. They just took completely different opposite routes. routes. Right. Arteta went at the, the 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 you know the governing body of of referee and whatnot, and Postecoglou decided to you know be the hero, and in turn he took away all of the responsibility of Romero. Adogi, you know, who really cost their team because yeah. they were lunging into tackles that at 1-0 up 
when you you should never really lose your head when you're one nil up you're in ascendancy you're at home you should be be calm and Chelsea if anything should be having that that issue yeah. um, and it reminded me very much of Arsenal being the lead against Liverpool at Anfield even though you know Liverpool at home and, and Jack obviously going in and then it kind yes. of you know spiraled this massive comeback but in terms of the statement I think Arsenal's situation as much as they can feel aggrieved it wasn't clear like I'm not going to say cheating because it wasn't but it was just incompetency in the Liverpool game it was just a disgrace it mm. was a clear and obvious goal it's open to interpretation in the Arsenal game even if you feel strongly that that is a foul or that ball is out of play even though the screenshots for me you know we need to see the video because the ball is a sphere <laughs> 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 but but I don't think we should be throwing out statements for every single situation. I think if it's an absolute clear and obvious incompetency, like this has to be stood, then fair enough. But I think for, for the Arsenal one, I think they need to dial it back a little bit. Uh, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think so this clear and obvious line, I think so this was the final thing I was hoping for. Was, was this idea of, you know, respecting the referee and understanding that there is hierarchy. Like I saw a comment, someone saying, because I, I was like, I... I was so bored at just watching like a screenshot with nothing on it forever. <laughs> like the amount of minutes, it'll be interesting to see that that will come out at some point. Like how long were we just waiting? And it kills it. It kills what would have been a fantastic game. And if you think of say like the, the offside for, for Nicolas, for Caicedo's goal, mm. if that's a goal, he doesn't get it's one off. all, he doesn't get sent off. We have a cracking game. Yeah. But this clear and obvious thing is the most vague thing. And, and and the comment, sorry, that this guy was saying, yeah, well, it took that long, but they, they got all the decisions right. You, not conclusively. So, not, so for me, this clear and obvious statement has to go. Yeah. I'm praying that this is a new olive branch where people go, yeah, actually, I'm going to be a better person as well. Let's just get, let the referee decide. Because <laughs> for me, you just cannot get... So the, the phrase, I was trying to think of a better phrase. The phrase I was wondering, and this might get picked apart, but I think it should be beyond reasonable doubt. Oh. That needs to be this clear and obvious. Jay-Z album, no? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the sales go up. I mean, I get a little percentage on that, Jay. Um, but it, I think it needs to be that because I think if people keep going, it's not clear and obvious. Nothing, like, what Nothing is, clear, is and clear and obvious, and obvious. on perception. a subjective thing? It's yeah. perception, yeah. exactly. This is... So if it becomes about beyond reasonable doubt, that is a much harder thing to get past. Mm. And it might lead, because like, if, he's, if he's offside beyond reasonable doubt, like it's so clear, then okay. Like you can't if you cannot argue it, yeah. Then fine. But if you can argue it, then go with the referee. Mm. I think that the the issue with all of this is I remember and I constantly have this conversation where when VAR came in, the conversation with across everything was it's going to take away the discussion and the argument at football. Oh, you know, <laughs> the, the we the, the we don't we enjoy seeing the grey and not the black and white. But ultimately, what VAR has done is it's not really removed that because you still have subjectiveness. It's found new it's, things. It's found new things. And that's why clear and obvious doesn't really exist because what is clear and obvious to Matisse might be very different to what is clear and obvious exactly. to me. And especially when there's probably an unconscious bias there as well. If it's a Chelsea game, that's not clear and biased to me. If it's an Arsenal game, yeah, exactly. send them off. Yeah. And, that's, and that's the issue here. So ultimately, if we just all took this approach that whether we have VAR or not, that football is football and things are going to happen, like Anne said. Like life, be, right? Yeah. Like sports like life a lot of the exactly. time. Yeah, sometimes you have to accept Just these accept. things. Yeah, because, so Romero, if you were in the VAR tower, you know the whole world's watching. Yeah. And it's, let, forget it's Tottenham, Chelsea, it's, it's Arsenal, Newcastle. Mm. Romero makes that tackle. Would, would, you, would you have sent him off? I think it's difficult because 
when we talk about decisions, we're always trying to follow a precedent that was set previously in terms of, okay, if that happened in another game, then surely that needs to be... But in the moment, what would you in have done? In that moment, I saw the follow through, but he did get the ball. So it's like a strong yellow versus like a light red. So And, and this is the issue though. So you're going off your perception of what the rules but are. Gusto was sent off against Villa. Exactly. And Jota. So I'm looking at it like, well, he has to be sent Uncut off. Because, but, yeah, but again, Uncut, like, yeah. if you're in that office, right... Yes or no? Like, would you would you have told him to go back? Because if you tell him to go watch it, you're essentially saying send him off. Would you would you have done that? I think I if would. Have, I think I would have just about because it was dangerous in okay. terms of the way I, studs I went in. I would have said because I, I, from my perception of it, that is excessive force. Mm. I don't think the excessive force was needed in that moment. On a fellow countryman, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what would what would Messi think? <laughs> so for me, did I think he meant to do it? Absolutely. I think he has that spite in him, but I can't prove that. Yeah. And he got the ball. Yeah. So I would have gone, well, the referee's kind of not seen it as a th- big enough of a thing. Let it go. Mm. So again, it's not beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah. So I'm trying to fix this for you guys. <laughs> if you could just, you know, listen to the podcast, make sure you follow and give us a five star rating, then that would be great. <laughs> uh, right. We're going to take a break. You're listening to The Ripple Effect. When we come back, we're going to be putting forward a set and forget Chelsea 11 for the next five years. Matisse, Mayo, here we go. So 4-3-3 is the formation for this set and forget. And the reason I wanted to do this was because you've got a lot of young players there and a sizable squad. And if there's some names that you're aware of in the squad that I'm not aware of, then fine, feel free to (laughs) let me know. But I, I think you have to kind of like pick your horses or in this first, what is it, 11 games now, you may have seen players that you believe are going to be you know, worth it to you. Yeah. Um, so I've got, there's a little twist at the end. So make sure you listen right to the end, guys, because I, I, this is a bit of an experiment for me as well. But I, I'm intrigued to see if one, you agree on your kind of 11. Yeah. And 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 also just kind of who you think is going to be, you know, stars for you guys. Because ultimately when you spend a billion, you're, you're hoping that these guys are going to get you to a point where you're, chat, where, you know, is it when you spend a billion on transfers, <laughs> what are you, you would like a title challenge or are you expecting an out and out title? <laughs> With Pep, I can never expect anything, unfortunately. Sure. But I definitely expect best a of the rest. You want to be the best of the rest? Minimum. Best of the rest. Right. Okay. Leave with something. <laughs> right. Let's start off with an easy one. Uh, well, okay. So you have to put in this team, and this team would have to play week in, week out uh, for the next five years. And so you've got to think about injuries within this as well, which is a okay. slight tricky one. So Sanchez or Kepa? Sanchez is 25 currently, Kepa is 29. Um, I don't want to talk about this one for too long because I'd imagine it's quite easy or is it not if you had to stick with one? Sanchez. Yeah, let's Sanchez. Sanchez. Okay, Kai, uh, if you can um, jot all this down for me, by the way, because as Kai knows the uh, twist at the end. (laughs) So we put Sanchez as our goalkeeper and so in five years' time, he'll be 31, (laughs) just hitting his peak. Right back. Okay, Reese James, 23 years old. Uh, or uh, Marlo, oh, I never know how to say it. Malo, Marlo? Malo Gusto. Malo Gusto. <laughs> this one is so hard because ultimately we're speaking about injuries mm-hmm. and we're speaking about the game like developing. Like ultimately, will Reese James be a right back in five years? He should be. He should. Oh, so do you see him? Because I saw him way back when. Wigan. 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 Yeah. yeah. And I remember seeing him thinking, ooh. And you do in the Champions League players, you go, Oh, wow. you're not, you're not going to be here long. Yeah. <laughs> and he was he was really really exciting. Here for a uh, good time, not a long time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a huge Reese James fan. Obviously, the injuries are, are, are difficult. And we had a podcast a couple of weeks ago where we spoke to uh, a sort of physio and talking about how 
as you grow, you know, in age, you, it takes time for you to really kind of get your body right, if that makes sense. And yeah. sometimes people will have problems with injuries and then kind of figure it out a little bit. And obviously we're all hoping that's the case with Reese James. Um, he's currently 23. Uh, do, do you see him figuring that out? And then I guess the second thing is, do you see him playing in a different position? I, I definitely would keep him at right back. I think he's, he could, with the way the fullback role has evolved in football, it's now you can show off all yeah. your traits in that position. You don't feel limited. I am going to put him in the team purely because I think the quality that he has and he possesses along with the potential leadership qualities is something that this team desperately needs. And he's just, when he's on it, he's just clear. He's incredible. Um, but the injuries are a massive concern, but I would have him in the team just purely because, yeah, he's just that good. Okay. I, I would have to agree. The injuries are a massive thing. And ultimately, whilst the right back is that position, you can you know express yourself. I think even if you're looking at it at the moment, in this current moment when we're recording, there's a lack of dynamism that's kind of looked like it's faded away from Reese James, mm. and which, which is one of his, like, you know, his power points. Mm. So it will be interesting to see if he can get himself back to what he was and play regularly, because that's the key thing. But, yeah. you, I mean, Gusto's a great player, but you have to go, James. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Gusto, you're not feeling like he is the future then? I, I think, think he, I he's think an he... amazing right back. Yeah. I think he has a bright future ahead of him. And ultimately... That's why I was saying it was interesting. Reese James mm. might evolve and become a holding mid or something, and Gosto plays right back. But um, I think the competition of the two would probably keep James on his toes. Managing James Gosto helps that massively. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So actually, I'm going to reveal the twist a little bit here. So these players that you're not picking will go on the transfer scrap here, <laughs> and we will Fair. we'll revisit that at the end. Okay. <laughs> so Gusto, sorry son, off you pop. Uh, right sided centre back. I've got three options here. We've said goodbye to Silva because I think at the age of 45, <laughs> yes, you know, 44, if, he, if he does play, play, play a manager, then for the next you, I mean, five years, if, if like he has the mentality, he's got three years and he's got, he's got he a good, does, yeah, he's got a good three. He reminds he's, me of like Fernando Alonso of F1, like, he's unbelievable, he yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I'd love to see it. He's got to go back to Brazil, hasn't he, at some point? Yeah. And just yeah. he does have young, young family, so maybe they'll, yeah. in school, yeah, you know, he might, in five years, he might be a, a guffer coach, yeah, yeah, yeah. good shout, yeah. good shout. So, Wesley Fofana. Currently injured, out till the end of the season, I think. Uh, Trevor Chalabar, who's kind of been forgotten about, it feels like, after a really strong season last season, or a lot of game at the, games at the very least. And Axel de Sassi. You've got a 22-year-old, a 24-year-old, and a 25-year-old. So for me, if I'm looking at this, Fofana suffered two massive injuries, and you have question marks of whether he'll be able to be the defender we once thought he would be. I mean, if you look at the early days of him and Saliba and then what he did initially at Leicester, you were looking at a world beater. But injuries like that do take their toll, especially when your pace is one of your strong points. Um, Trevor Chaloba has been someone who was an, not an unknown entity, but he went into the wilderness, came back and was a real formidable part of Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea. Mm. And he's been utilised in different positions. But for me, in this situation, if you look at the young squad, Axel de Sassi was brought in He's a French international. He's 25. In this squad going forward, at the back, he's probably going to be one of the guys that is the experienced leader there. Mm. And if I had to hedge my bets on any of those three, it would probably be on Axel. Yeah. 25. A little bit older than I thought he was, actually. Mm. Is he, you know, when we, everyone's raving about Saliba right now, can he? do you see him getting to that level? Have you seen elements of that? I, the reason why I don't see him getting to that level because I think Saliba's just completely... Like, Axel doesn't have the pace. Um, that Saliba has. And I think Saliba's kind of like a once in a, 
you know, generation type centre back. Right. You get yeah, these yeah. ones that come around and you just think this guy is going to be here to stay. Mm. Axel is not like a, you know, quote unquote, generational talent. He's 25. But I think he's got some re- really redeeming qualities. I think he's really sorted us out from an aerial standpoint. Chelsea used to be really physically overran and, you know, bullied. And I think he's, you know, he's brought that to the team where we can actually depend upon him to win those duels at the back, which are basic, but it's something that Chelsea have lost. And you look at the lack of goals we've scored from set pieces over the years in comparison to when we had Ivanovic and Alex and Terry and Cahill he could be part of bringing that back. So right. I kind of see him as like the big friendly giant. He's a very like, yes. he's a very nice character. He's, he's, he, I like the, I like the way he kind of brings people together, even in the small little moments of celebrations and whatnot. I get very good vibes from him and he's a good player. He might not be like a starter forever, but I think he's just, he's a good player to have. So it sounds like you're kind of suggesting that Fofana has the star power, but yes. you're concerned about the, the injuries, understandably. Yeah. Chalaba feels like he's a steady Eddie and De Sassi is somewhere in the middle. So are you going to Sassi as well? Yeah. Yep. Okay, Desassi makes it through. Left side of centre back. So we've got Malangsar and, and Pochettino. If you are listening, Malangsar is one of the players in your squad earlier in the season. <laughs> uh, he, that was put forward to him in a press conference, and he uh, he was like, "Who's that?" To his uh, to the guy to the next to him. Uh, he's twenty four. His contract expires uh, in twenty twenty five. Uh, didn't cost anything. Uh, Levi Colwell and Benoit Badiashil. This one I want to cheat. I want to cheat. This one is <laughs> difficult because. Badia Shil is a really, really good centre-half. And those who know, know that he formed this really great centre-half partnership with Axel De Sassi. Yeah. Levi Koval, though, when we're speaking about generational defenders, the, the Rolls voice, which is always used as centre-halves, mm. for me, he is a Rolls voice centre-half. He is Coburn as well. I would find it very difficult not to put him on that left side. But then I look at Ben and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is tall, aerial threat, ball ability, like... Cole's been playing left back. So what I want to do... <laughs> Are you going to cheat, do you? Move Badi Ish- I'm going to put Badi Ishiu in and I want to move Cole to left back and kick him for, for the next five, for five years. years. I can't live without both of them. I love them both. I really do. I mean, I- I'll allow you... You can do whatever you want. This is your set and forget. Remember, you must set and you must forget. But just... Like, you can always on any of the other left backs. You That's could push the- Sassy out. Could one of those play? Could you have Benoit and Cole? Or do you need the Sassy? Hmm... Not, do you know what it is? I'm not convinced on any of the left backs we actually have for the next five years. They always have a, a, things lacking in their game that they need. Chihuahua's injury prone as well and has been struggling with that for quite some time. I don't think he's of the level of Reese James where he can kind of get away with that, so to speak. I think Kukure is as good as he is defensively, very limited going forward, as we saw again yesterday when he had the opportunities to make those decisions. So... I don't know. I just I feel greedy now. I just go with the centre backs. <laughs> maybe like he could be a comp- you know how Ivanovic was that right back. Yeah, I mean maybe maybe one of them maybe could become Pochettino that. wants to coach and use different <laughs> coaching principles and then inverted left Vardy backs. Vardy was playing left back for Pep. It's it can true. work. It's true. You know, I'm not I'm not mad at it. I mean, realistically, do I see Cole playing there for five years? No. Probably not. That feels like a waste to me. Yeah, it does. We, we did a podcast after England won the under twenty ones tournament, and we had Harry Brooks on who uh, coaches one to one professional footballers and he said that he thinks that he's uh, the best under 21 centre back in the world wow wow, cool. wow. and I, I mean he's 20 yeah and I, I, what I always am really impressed with with Chelsea is you know in terms of the loan system in terms of getting games into a player we they do that really, really well. Mm, and and Colwell's gone and done that at, at those different levels, at different junctures, and he's still only 20. Let me give you the other left-backs, and then you can make a decision, okay? So left-back, you've got Ian Matson. He's only 21. Contracts expires in 2025. 
Um, only cost 95k. You've got Ben Chilwell, who's 26, cost 43 million. And then you've got Mark Kukurea, who, of course, cost 60 million and has a contract till 2028. So you're not, f- are you not feeling any of those guys? I'm going I'm to be brave. I'm going to be brave. <laughs> I want Colwell at left centre half. And I'm going to bank on youth. I'm going to go Matson. I think ultimately, in that Burnley side, even though it was the championship, you saw the signs of what a modern fullback looks like. Mm. He's a versatile player that can play in different parts of the squad as well. Yeah. And ultimately, we're only talking about the starting eleven. Yeah. So he might drop out for someone, you never know. <laughs> but I think out of the three, if you're looking for five years, he is the one I would hedge my bets on. I think Chilwell ultimately just can't show at the moment he can stay fit, which is unfortunate. Mark Cucurella has has moments as well where he looks great, but it's been very difficult. And um, I will back the, the club on where there. Okay, so well, I need you guys to agree. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> come on, you're gonna let him have that one, Matisse. It's tough because Baddy Shaw's so good. He is. He is so he so is. good. But and if we're if we're transfer listening, we're gonna make some money. That's how good he is. I know, but that partnership with Axel, I know, I you know, know that would work. They've been speaking about it. They've been one talking about oh, the dynamic. One of you needs to back down. One is the Cobham, Matisse, Cobham, 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 always Cobham. Keep both. That's what I'm saying. Matson's not even played left back for Poch. Can Matson do it at left back in this league? being targeted airily who knows we haven't seen it yet I want to put in that okay out of 10 <laughs> how much do you care about the two choices there for you of having Cole and Badia Shield like strong eights like, strong eight. <laughs> really, can you really like these two let's go Cole let's go so we're going to go Cole left back <laughs> and Badia Shield left side of centre back okay great here we go so we move on to the midfield three defensive midfield it's between Romeo Lavia, 19, cost 55 mil. Contracts expires in 2030. <laughs> run, that, run that by me again? 20 when? 2030. Wow. wow. Flying cars, by the way. Uh, Leslie Ugo Chukwu, also 19. Also contract expired to 2030 with an option for a year on the top of that, if you fancy it. And he cost 22 million. Uh, is this an easy one? Is it just those two? It is for me. Have you got another name? You can you can try. For me, it's easy. For defensive midfield. So we've got Lavior, Ugo Trucku. There's someone that... It, I, I saw something. It, it was moving me. Oh, you want to put Caicedo in this? No, 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 no. Yeah. Andre Santos. Andre Santos. Yeah. I saw it was, it was moving me. Like there was, I'm thinking, about five, really year, like I'm thinking about five years from I now. I really like five him. Five years from now. Yeah. Five years from now. Wow. It's, wow. it's, not, as, it's, it's not, not a foregone conclusion. No, it's really not. You're right. Andre Santos was incredible in preseason. Him and Angelo. I mean, Brazil obviously think that he's the guy. I don't yeah, know. I think I think as we attained him, Barcelona were like, "Can we have him?" Like immediately, they were like, "Sorry, we've made a mistake. We were meant to bid. We didn't get it in in time. Can we please take him <laughs> off your hands?" Like, and obviously, you know, he was available for loan. He's gone to Nottingham Forest. He hasn't played. It's been as a Chelsea fan so incredibly frustrating not to see him because what we saw in preseason was just some maturity. 18 years old, but just plays like a 23-year-old. Yeah. He's clearly racked up the minutes that a lot of our 22-year-olds haven't. So right. this is actually a tough one, but mm. I rate Lavia so highly. Last season for Southampton, games against Arsenal at the Emirates. When he comes off, they concede two. Games against City in the Cup. Games against Chelsea at the Bridge. I know he's injured, but this kid is so, so good. What I like about him as well, he's so combative. I think ultimately, it's playing the Premier League in this modern era. You need to be able to get around the pitch. And interceptions is part of the game where a lot of people just sleep on it. It takes an art to intercept the ball. It takes an art to stop your opponent in motion and then just be able to just give the ball off. Mm. 
And I rate Lavia really highly because even though it was at Southampton, he proved that he could do it. it coming out of City, this he was so, so highly sought after. And a lot of people still feel like, with the whole, you know, thing with whole the mid situation, why couldn't he stay for a year longer and then learn the ropes? <laughs> so it, for me, I like Ugochuku a lot. I just feel like the other two are level above. Yeah. Lavia's more Premier League proven though. He is. So it'll probably he's picked up be, a couple of injuries. He's picked. He has. He has <laughs> picked up a couple of injuries. And we've got a couple of players that yeah, have picked up a couple of injuries. Oh, yeah, you're gonna be down oh. to nine yourself in a minute. <laughs> okay, Lavia oh, makes it through. Let's go, Lavia. Yeah. yeah. Let's go, Lavia. Right side is centre midfielder. We've got Enzo Fernandez and Chukwemeka, of course. Enzo Fernandez, whose contract expires in 2031, <laughs> is 22. Um, he costs 105 mil. And uh, Carney Chukwemeka, 20 years old, contract expires 2028, only costs 16 million. Mm. Love Carney. I love Carney, but, but. it's got to be Enzo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's that's an easy one, right? It's so Enzo Fernandez, of course, makes it in. You know, he spent 105, got to give him a chance. I mean, Moise, uh, on the left side is centre midfielder, Moise Cosedo or Conor Gallagher, 23 and 22. Conor Gallagher's 23. His contract expires in 2025. Obviously, didn't cost anything. He's Cobham, as uh, as Mayan would say. As Todd Bowie would say, that's pure profit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gross, 100% and gross. Moise, so, yeah, so do you think Todd Bowley's going to stick with Gallagher, who costs nothing and will be pure profit, or Moise Cosedo, who costs 100 Definitely make million. a loss on him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Easy decision Kaiseido. there, sadly. As as Conor Gallagher got a long future at Chelsea, do you think? Because obviously this is just an eleven. This is yeah, here. I think I think he def. It, it was an interesting one. In the summer, it looked like he could have been in his way out. I think there was a few bids that did come in, and ultimately, what he's proven is he does have something to offer to this team. He has the spirit of this team, and I think as well, he's just a prime example of what happens when you're misprofiled. We saw it when he plays in a deep six. He's not going to be the person that receives the ball in the half turn and moves forward. But he's got a lot of energy. He can make a right pass here and there. And he does have that combativeness that helps you get from one side of the pitch to another. So I think he does. He definitely does have a future at Chelsea. Right wing, Noni Madueke. Of course, was it last year he arrived? Yeah. Uh, 21 cost 30 million Cole Palmer also 21 cost 45 million his contract expires in 20 both have got 2030 with an option for the next few years um, who out of these two I like Nani a lot but Cole Palmer's base of what he is and what he's going to go on to be yeah Polished. It's, 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 it's incomparable it's yeah. incomparable it's the, it's the top two it's instances the for me with yeah. Cole Palmer like yeah. he just uh, and you know I'm not saying he's more intelligent than Madueke but what I'm saying is He's arrogant. I yeah. think he's arrogant. Like he, in a good he does way. move like as if he, yeah. he is yeah. running the and when, show. Like when he scores that goal, and like he's happy to be like the villain yeah. a little yeah. bit. There's nothing wrong and, with that. And to take the first three penalties on arrival, and to take that Pinch ball one off Sterling, off Sterling, yeah. and wow. say, "Listen, you are the senior of this team, but this and is I am, team. I am stepping into. I'm your little bro. In fact, <laughs> I am like Man City, like yep. that Jamaican, you know, side of it as well. Mm. But bro, sit this one out. This is yep. mine. And to do that three times and. Sp- Put them all in. Something that Enzo unfortunately couldn't do against West Ham speaks volumes. Yeah, really impressed with him. Totally yeah. agree. Uh, going forward in the next five years, I'll go as far as to say that this will be Cole Palmer's team. Be his team. Wow. Uh, do, well, do you want another reason to uh, to follow the podcast because we're going to be talking about partnerships and career rivals. Yes, Cole Palmer has <laughs> yes, one. I got Arsenal one. fans, you're going to want to listen to that one. <laughs> right uh, up top, we've got Nicholas Jackson. We've got Armando. 
Brozier. We've got Christopher and Kunku. Surely we're going with the guy who's got a hat trick, right? Nope. We're going, <laughs> with, we're going with the guy that we've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> the unproven entity. Because at this point, if we haven't seen you, you've got a You're better good. chance yeah, of yeah, impressing yeah. us. Sorry, Kunku for me. Christopher and Kunku. Uh, Brozier and Jackson, who will have a better career out of those two? Great question. Great question. I like Brozier a lot. I like what he offers. He's coming back from injury. Yep. I think he has proven he can score goals at this level for Southampton. Mm. I like his his game. Yeah. He's, he's also quite complete as well, quite well-rounded. He holds the ball up really well, nice touches. Yeah. Got, he had a really un, like deceptive amount of pace in his locker that he showed before the injury. But because he's picked up that big injury, I worry about his recovery on that. So I probably lean more towards... Jackson, but it's close. Yeah, it is close. I think in terms of who have a better career, I think Nico's the the stuff we mentioned earlier in the pod. It's going to be very complimentary to a lot of teams, even even if he's not at Chelsea, which may edge it slightly. Mm. Okay, and left wing. This is interesting. Mikhailo Mudrik or Raheem Sterling. So, age twenty two, Mudrik. He would obviously be twenty seven. Cost seventy million. Raheem Sterling twenty eight, so he'd be 32, 33 by the end of it. But it's obviously the duration of those five years, and you're trying to get somewhere with that. Who do you think would be more beneficial to the to a set and forget team over a five year period out of those two? Over five years, given the young nature of this team, mm. I think you still need your Raheem Sterling. He's been there. He's seen it all. He's still the one person that's proven to get the goals. I think Mudrich will grow in stature and do well. But if you have Mudrich 22 and Cole Palmer 21, was it? Mm. Both of them, this, you need you need an experienced pro mm. in that forward line, especially with a young striker as well. I think it's got to be Sterling. It's tough for me because I, I, they're both frustrating <laughs> <laughs> in different ways. Sterling's got the evidence in the locker and, and the CV. But Mudrik has got the unknown quantity of if he is developed the right way, could he be Doku? Or at least give us something. From what I saw yesterday, absolutely not. Maybe I will go and tell The thing for me, I think we, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago on the pod, where it's like there's so much noise about Mudrik. I think if I was if I was a Chelsea fan, I would be like desperate for him to do well and prove everyone wrong. But I think if there wasn't all that noise, you'd be like, well, you're not capable. Mm. Like, bye. The, the thing is with him, his mentality and the way he trains is so impressive to me. Like he's clearly just locked in every day. I wouldn't be surprised if he eats the same food as Haaland. Like he's looks like he's built to I mean, maybe that'll add up then. Yeah, uh, that kind of work rate and consistency from that side of of it makes me kind of want to hedge my bet on him Mm -hmm. because it looks like he just is determined to to make it. I feel like he's always going to be a a prisoner of the fee that was paid for him. Yeah. He's always going to be a prisoner for it. Similar to the whole Pogba situation in terms of no matter what you do, I have a perception of what this position should do and what it should offer me for hundred million pounds. 60, I, yeah. 62 initial. Sixty-two initial. <laughs> but if rising to eighty eight, we're not doing for, euros, we're if, doing pounds. If he's here for the five years, it's gonna uh, it's yeah, gonna yeah. rise up. Okay. So sure, we'll let uh, Mayo have that one. Yeah, because, you take that uh, one, you got, you got Carl Willow in the left back. <laughs> so okay, so we have our eleven here. So what I kinda wanted the point I kinda wanted to make was that you know, if Chelsea are doing well, you go, wow, this is a really clever strategy. If it's going bad, you go, what on earth have you just done when it comes to this strategy? Um, what I want, like, really kind of quickly, say you sold the players that we're not talking about here. And Kai, are you ready with your calculator? He's going to jot down <laughs> what we've... Um, so of the players that we've got on the scrap heap, obviously there's an amount that's been spent on all those guys. But in three years' time, if they're players that are ultimately are like 
you know, even at the best level of it, like Gabriel Jesus or Zinchenko, where, you know, Chelsea are in a good place, but they're not getting the minutes that they want, you know, like Zayesh or Pulisic or those kind of players, you're going to want to sell them. Mm. Um, what kind of fee do you think you would get a sort of reasonable, sensible fee that you would get for these guys? Okay. Yeah. Right. That's so, great. oh no. <laughs> so, and I'll give you the contract. So Kepa, well, Kepa will go on a um, free by this point if it's in three years' time. Mm, I'll tell you yeah. what I'm going to do. So yeah, well, this is what we'll do as well. So you're not going to get any money on them if their contract's like Expert. not within the three years. Right? <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Okay. So Kepa, that is a dud. Okay. That yeah. will be Nothing one of the that... worst signings in history. 70 mil. Yeah. 70 mil for a goalkeeper. He was all right last year, wasn't he? It's, it's right up there with the Ant- you up. Antonis and Lukaku's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Gusto cost 26 million. Contract till 2030. So in three years' time, he'll be 23. How much do you think you get for Augusto? Because I think you'll, you'll definitely always get like 20 games a season, wouldn't you? 35? I think in this market for fullbacks, with the potential that he has, I think he could go on to be one of the best right backs out there. I'd actually be <laughs> not better than Reese James. Though. Not better than Reese James because he's like just yeah, he's, you know, he's incredible. But I, I'm fetching 50, honestly. Oof, you got but you would have to play a lot of games though. Maybe like, okay, so then maybe middle ground forty. But I, I'm right. looking I think, for serious. Money I think a thirty-five forty is reasonable okay. if he's in and around it. Inflation. Right, lots to get through. So Kai, write down forty, please. Um, Fafana, injury prone. Fafana will be twenty-five. Uh, he'll still have, um, still have like three or four years on his contract that runs out in twenty twenty-nine. So you're safe there. Um, how much are you getting for Fafana? That's got a twenty-five written on over it. Someone will hedge a bit. Someone will hedge a bit. Like. That similar to that, that Zuma ball mark. Okay. Goes, 20, 25. Okay. So, yeah. uh, do you know what? I'm going to go lower, 20. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. Uh, although, it's he such cost, a shame because I liked 80. him. I really, really liked him. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it cost 72. Yep. Uh, Trevor Chalabar uh, cost nothing. Pure profit here. Yes. Pure what, profit. Um, although, so 2028. 20, so, what are we in? 24, 25, 26, 27. So, he'll have a year left on his contract. So, you're not going to get an outrageous amount, but and he'll be 27 at this point. 15. 15, 16. I was going to say 16. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. 60, very specific. <laughs> 16.2. Well, 50. <laughs> so that, we'll make it 50. Uh, left side is centre-back, Malang Saar. Uh, he'll be got released on a free, sadly. Uh, Ian Matson contract expires 2025. So I guess it'll be one where you'd probably need to get rid of him sharpish. Yeah. I'll give you... I mean, you're not going to get much unless he signs a new uh, deal now. But I, I would expect that you would sell him, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, although... 25 again to last year. What, 10 mil next summer? Maybe. Burnley will come back in again, maybe. Yeah, I think you'll try. Burnley will be relegated. Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you 10 for Ian Matson. It's like a fire sale. This is great. Uh, Ben Chilwell, 2027. So, I mean, that would kind of be a free transfer if he runs it down. So I'm not going to give you anything for that, I'm afraid. uh, Kukurea, 2028. So, um, yeah, I think you, you obviously bought him for sixty million. He'll be twenty-seven by that point, with a year left on his contract. Eighteen. I'll, I'll round out to twenty, but yeah. Go on, I will give you twenty. That is, and twenty is generous. Yeah, that is. I'm being very. I'm thinking like a a club's going to need a left back. They're going to need a left back. La Liga, Valencia. Yeah, they don't spend any money in La Liga. So true, that, yeah. I mean, that is one of the problems, right? Yeah. And that's the other thing is, like, I think there's a caveat to all of this is that if it gets to a point where people know Chelsea need to sell, that means they're going to bring we, their numbers. We had it down. this summer when with yeah. like, the likes of the Pulisic's, the Loftus Cheeks, we just wrote and. Are you willing off. to pay this number? Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. There you go. Off, yeah. Which means Matson, you're definitely going to try and sell because it is all profit. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ugo Chukwu, 19, so he'll be 22 by that point. He'll have loads of years in the tank. 2030 is his contract. How much do you think you can get for him, a 22-year-old? 
I think we can recoup his signing fee. How so 22. He's 22 mil. Okay. 20, getting 20 mil for him. Is... 20 mil. We'll do 20. We'll do yeah. 20. Yeah. Chukwemeka, 23-year-old Chukwemeka. Um, he will have a year left on his contract. A year left on his contract. Oh, I think Chukwemeka. you get good money for him. I think you get great money. Yeah, he's playing. Great. English player tax as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to hit 30. 30 yeah. Yeah, 30. I would do that. I think, yeah, 30, 35. Do you yeah. want to give you, I've been stingy with the others. 35. Left side is <laughs> midfielder Conor Gallagher. He will be released on a free. But again, I think with these guys, you'll let them go, won't you? You'll sell them in between. So yeah. we, I'll give it, again, I'll give you this one. With a year left on his contract, do you think. I what, think, what I think teams will pay 40. We like, can sell still, him to a palace yeah. at 40, yeah. 100. Like, After the, the stocks the, of this year, the yeah, stocks 100%. have gone up. People re- like for in the Premier League, yeah, 100%. Box to box. captain the Premier League. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a lot. England squad. England squad. He's in the England squad. All right. Okay. Okay. So I'll Matt, give it to Matt was a year left, didn't he? Yeah. 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 True. Madaweki, 2030 with an option for an extra year. He'll be 24. So you've got you've got the buffer of the contract there. 24. Madaweki, I think you're getting 35, 40. Just think he's so. a great player. I really like he him. He is. But again, when, what I'm thinking about with this is what would the body of work be by yeah. the time we sign him? If how much not, did you, uh, Hudson Odoi, how much have we got for him? Not much. We've got like 5 million, I think. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was really bad. That's, one, that's, one, that's one, one, horrific. There's 5 millions yeah. with add-ons as well. Uh, funnily enough, Bayern Munich had a 70 million yeah. bid years ago, yeah. right? So yeah. they have really fell through. None of 30. Get back, get back his transfer. I think fee. 30, yeah. I think you can get back his transfer. Nicholas Jackson, 35 million cost. Uh, yeah, contract 30, 31, uh, 2031, sorry. So he'll be 25 by this point. I think I think it could go left, 25. 25, okay. Yeah. Brozier, uh, 2028, his contract expires. Maximum profit. So you've got a year on him. So yeah, you get 30 for him? No. Nah. Striker? No? So that's another like 16... 20 with add-ons. <laughs> so, okay, we'll do 20 then. Yeah, 20, uh, yeah. And then Mudrick <laughs> expires uh, 2031. He'll be 25. Uh, I say for, that, for, that. for those who are listening, me and Matisse just looked at each other. <laughs> like, what can we get? Because that? you know what, we know that we vastly overpaid. I said it when we signed him. He's he should have cost what Madueke cost. Yeah. Right. So you think you can get thirty-five? Thirty. Thirty. Well, yeah, I yeah. think thirty. That's okay. 30. Yeah. Right, Kai. Tell me you've typed all this into a calculator. Oh, We're no. gonna find out with this squad how much money would you make back. What did and we just do? Obviously, you've spent a bill in total. You're also going to get five years from all of these good players and who knows where you'll be at this point. Um, what have you got there, Kai? Oh, 305 mil. Victor Oshman, welcome to the bridge. <laughs> so, 305 mil. And I think that means... The point I kind of wanted to make was that that's not ideal. It's not a billion. But, you know, with amortisation and all those different things, yeah, um, it's not you'll be sort of sustainable to a point. And if you think of like a lot of loan players, a lot of academy players that you can kind of build up and sell on, Mm. I still like, I actually, I get the strategy. And I think when you're, when you've got a billion to spend, it's, it's risky, Mm. but it's, you know, you're, you're still, if you're still able to go and put value to these players and if a few of them you can get, I guess that's the, the, the other side of it is the fact that, some of these, who out of these guys that aren't going to stay at the club, are you going to get your money back or yeah. more? Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to be making much profit from them. So profit needs to come from elsewhere. So final question for this pod, mm. where else does the profit come from? Go on. 
Cobham. Cobham, right? Cobham Academy. In Cobham, Cobham we trust. <laughs> right. Okay, guys. Fascinating stuff. Uh, guys, thank you so, so much. Uh, we are going to have a little break and then we're going to do another podcast talking about career rivalries off the back of Messi versus Ronaldo coming to an end. If you are new to the podcast, please do me a favour. Give us a five-star rating on Spotify or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can watch us exclusively on Spotify. Go check out the guys as well. Links to them are in the description. Thank you so much and we'll speak soon.